BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hi, everyone. Welcome to With Wit. Today, I'm speaking with Jennifer Cohen Harper, educator, author, public speaker, and mother who works to support all children and teens in the development of strong inner resources through the tools of yoga and mindfulness. Her goal is to help kids and those who care for them thrive in the world regardless of circumstances and navigate the many challenges they face with a sense of personal power and self-awareness. She recently released Thank You Body, Thank You Heart, a gratitude and self-compassion practice for bedtime. It's a mindfulness book for kids. I have been reading it to Sunny and he loves it. I can't wait to learn all about mindfulness, especially the importance of incorporating it into our kids' lives. Here is Jennifer. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Mindfulness is so incredibly important and a term that I didn't really learn about until a couple of years ago. I was pregnant actually and freaking out filled (laughs) with angst and my mom was like Whitney you need to become mindful you need to think about where your body is in this moment and maybe think about taking a class so I actually signed up for a mindfulness-based stress reduction class here in Los Angeles at Insight and It was crazy because being pregnant and doing a mindfulness class was really hard, especially when I was in the first trimester, just being like really, really nauseous and not really being able to be super present and being hungry and then wanting us to do 45 minutes of meditation every day. But I did it. And now I, you know, it's one of those things that I try hard to do on a daily basis, but I think it's so important for people that don't even really know what I'm talking about. I just ranted on forever, but for people that don't even know what I'm talking about, maybe for you to just introduce like what mindfulness means and how you started, you know, to devote kind of your career to it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. And it's so interesting that you're talking about your own mindfulness journey as starting when you were in a real transition space in your life. And I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. I think that's so common. And, you know, I think a lot of people, kids, adults, all of us, you know, we kind of go through our life. And then at some point we're like, oh my God, something's not working. And a lot of times it's 
the way that we're treating ourselves. And, you know, for me, I was really fortunate to find mindfulness and yoga um, in my late teens. And Mm -hmm. that took a lot of different shapes. And, you know, when I first got really deeply involved in yoga, it wasn't always in a mindful way. And it was in a way that sometimes fed some of the things that weren't going great in my life and made me more self-critical. And then when I I started learning more about mindfulness and was able to bring that lens to my practice, it changed everything. And then, you know, I, I went down the rabbit hole like you, just like all in. And, you know, There's a lot of different definitions of mindfulness out there. Um, You were talking about taking a mindfulness-based stress reduction course or MBSR. Mm -hmm. um, And that definition of mindfulness that comes from John Kabat-Zinn's work is essentially rooted in present moment non-judgmental awareness. And present moment non-judgmental awareness is awesome is also like really a mouthful. And I work with kids, right? So when I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm working with kids and, you know, I'm working to bring these practices in ways that are really, really practical to children's lives. And we can't have this kind of vocabulary being like an obstacle between, you know, us. And so the definition that I've landed on using the most in my work, which has actually really started out by looking for like the best definition for kids. And it's really become the definition that I hold in my heart comes from somebody else's work by the name of Amy Saltzman, who is a a dear colleague and friend. And she talks about mindfulness as paying attention to your life here and now with kindness and curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that definition is something that anybody of any age can grapple with. Okay, what does it mean to pay attention? What does it mean to pay attention to my life? Like here and now, okay, what are the what are the choices? I can be here, I can pay attention to what's happening here or someplace else now or be in the past and the future. You know, and that idea of non-judgment is hard. And I find even teaching adults we're often judging ourselves for not being non-judgmental, you know, but but engaging kindness and engaging our sense of curiosity, those are more positive, proactive terms that kids mm-hmm. can invest in and explore and um, discover their own meaning in. And that definition is the one that's really carried through my work and my practice and, and now my parenting. I have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old and, mm-hmm. of course, bringing these practices to them is a huge part of what I want to do in my parenting. And I I have to make it accessible. No, you're 100% right. I mean, it is so important to start young because if you teach them young and you ingrain these things in their brain and they become daily practices and sources of confidence, it it will just be something that naturally is in them. So when do you start? When did you start? Have you already started to teach mindfulness to your two-year-old? Um, yes. And <laughs> as anyone who's ever taught anything um, in their professional life can tell you about their own kids, like teaching your own kids is a whole nother ball game. So, you know, I was really fortunate in that I had many years of working with children, working in education, working with families before I had my own kids. So I actually didn't try too hard to do any like top-down teaching because I'd seen it backfire so many times. Um, So for me, when I think about teaching my kids, it's absolutely about 
first of all, getting my own self oriented to what's important and being a good model. Um, So that's like, for me, that's step one. And I started, I thought about these things when I was pregnant, even with my oldest, like, you know, how am I going to regulate my own emotions? How am I going to make her feel safe and secure resting in my presence? Um, How am I going to how am I going to show up for myself so that she grows up learning that it's okay to show up for herself? Like those were things I was thinking about even when I was pregnant. So when my kids were born right from like their early, early days, um, I was doing really simple things with them that I wouldn't think of as teaching, but more just creating a space that fosters and encourages and honors kindness and curiosity and self-awareness and gratitude and trying very hard to make our home a place where those values and those habits are natural. So they just kind of grow up in that Mm -hmm. soup. So when my kids were like little babies, I was like very deliberately doing breath work with them on my body and, you know, saying practices out loud. When I was doing practices for myself, I would speak them out loud with my kids, like in my arms. And and then Mm -hmm. I did crazy things that I just had the opportunity to do because of my field, which is like I was teaching training workshops with a newborn on my chest and um, bringing my babies to to mindfulness conferences where they had the opportunity to be in the presence of incredible teachers. And I feel like they've just absorbed a lot of that, a lot of that intention and in some ways just Mm -hmm. a lot of that kindness and and really like kindness to the self. But I got to say, it didn't protect them from the world because my seven-year-old, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book um, and really started getting like, okay, I need to be like more concrete with this is I started seeing at even around four or five years old, um, my older daughter getting really hard on herself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to think about it in another way. I'm like, okay, you know, we've got this like great energy going on at home that that is a practice. I don't want to like deceive anyone. (laughs) I make lots of mistakes. I do things I'd rather not, but I reflect on them and I repair them. And I I try to model that for my kids. But, you know, no matter what we were doing in our home, the world is the world, right? So Mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. you know, there came a point, and for me, it was around when my daughter started kindergarten, and she was, like, really out in the world, having a lot more influencers on her life that I didn't get to choose, where I felt like, okay, I got to take it up a notch. And now a word from our brand partner. Okay. So first of all, Michelle, our producer just told me she has a Buffy and loves it. So I really respect her opinion. I am here to talk to you guys about Buffy. Buffy is awesome. It is a comforter. And the great thing about it is that it controls and regulates your temperature. For me, that's super important because I get really, really hot. I'm one of those people that will like turn into a furnace in the middle of the night. And my husband doesn't necessarily love it. He wants things to be like really cold and crisp. And especially with our new bed situation, like he's just all into making our night's sleep as comfortable as possible. Buffy's latest product, The Breeze, is a comforter made entirely from 100% eucalyptus fiber to regulate temperature and keep you cool and comfortable all night long. It's so, so, so soft, like softer than cotton, and it naturally soothes your skin. Plus, it's earth-friendly, which we love, because eucalyptus actually uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow, and its fiber is produced using recyclable, earth-friendly solvents. Also... 
If you have bad allergies, this is for you because it's hypoallergenic and it has a high thread count, which shuts out dust, mold, and mites for a healthier sleeping environment. Why not choose 100% plant-based bedding that's better for you and the earth? You can try Comforter in your own bed for free. If you don't love it, you can totally return it at no cost. For $20 off your Buffy Comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter with wit. Again, if you want this super comfortable, amazing, Buffy comforter for $20 off. Visit Buffy.co and enter with wit. And now back to our chat. I mean, that's what's so scary that you can't control their surroundings. Like I I haven't even thought about that yet. You know, I mean, even now Sunny goes to this class two days a week and I I didn't even really think about how other people's behaviors were going to affect him until I've started to see him bring them home. You know, like when he will look at his toys and just be like, mine, mine, mine. And I know that that's not something that he learned from being here. Mm -hmm. That's something that he saw other kids do, you know? And so that's what's so scary is like wanting them to socialize and, and learn and be in this world, but also knowing that they're going to pick up habits and grow insecurities that you can't control. So it's like, how do you arm yourself with the tools to then help them through that. And I think that one, I mean, the deep breathing is really, really important. Like I have to pat myself on the back right now, just because like, it's something that really helped me. And so I started doing it with Sunny from an early stage. Like when he started to throw little tantrums, I'd be like, okay, let's take some deep breaths. And he would start doing it and it would calm him down. And I, I think it's so, that's something that you can really teach them to do. It's like a really big self-soother. And then The other thing I want to ask you about was like those mantras that you were saying that that the things that you tell yourself at home Mm -hmm. that they would hear or that you you say to them, like, what are some of those things that you that you say um, on a daily basis that are part of your practice? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. And, you know, I can totally relate to like kids being out in the world and then they come home and you're like, who is this little person right now? And, you know, I think one of like the biggest um it's almost like the project of our lives as people in a way is like to to be like fully ourselves at the same time as we're around others <laughs> um, and to be able to yeah. like be aware of ourselves and, and our own feelings and our own needs while we're also being aware of other people's needs, right? That kind of like right, project, right. like I could be myself and still be with you. And it's right. hard, you know, when kids are little, they start experimenting and how they see themselves and how they see the world changes based on what they observe and what they experience. And, you know, we have a really, really strong, as humans, a really strong negativity bias in the brain where, you know, we're always for survival purposes, seeing the negative first. And it's very strong. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really learned early on in my practice was that we can intentionally counteract the negativity bias in the brain through things like gratitude and Mm self-compassion. And that's Mm -hmm. why I really made them the emphasis of the book because I started knowing like, okay, so there are things that I say and do that I can say out loud in my home, but my kids' attention wanders. Like as they get older, they're kind of like, okay, can you stop talking about that? (laughs) Um, So, you know, when they were really little, it was easy. You know, I could go through a body scan and talk myself through a body scan and invite like each part of my body to rest 
rest and relax and um, thank it for working hard for me today. And, you know, that kind of like tapped out as my kids got older and are like, you know, bored of me. Um, of and- course. Well, they also don't have the attention span to do yeah. that. Like, well, it- we're, we're adults. Like mm-hmm. we, like I was saying in this mindfulness-based stress reduction class, like, we started with a 45 minute body scan. Like yeah. there's no way a kid can do that. So yeah. obviously you have to adjust yeah. um, the messaging. Yeah. And, the and they don't need to, because it's really about developing habits of yeah. gratitude and self-compassion right? and, and building that like kind of kindness and curiosity towards our own experience. So, you know, mm-hmm. for me writing the book and like getting it in a book form, my kid's attention span for a book is way higher than it is for me talking. Right. So I'm Like, okay, and books are such a great way to create ritual, right? So for Mm -hmm. me, I I really, like, think bedtime is almost like a sacred time because we— can create habits during Mm -hmm. that time with our kids that last their whole life. And, you know, the world Mm -hmm. is busy. Our days are busy. And um, at least for me, I feel like if I do something at bedtime, I might not do it every single night, but that's a consistent presence for them. Where if I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to like fit it in whenever I see the opportunity, well, we're always too busy. There's never the opportunity. (laughs) Like you really need to make things a habit, as you know, from from your own practice. So thinking about what... I could do at bedtime, for me, that was the most natural way to build a habit. And, you know, one of the things that I did with both of my kids from the time they were born was think about, like, how do I want them to feel about themselves at the end of the day? You know, how do I want them, how do I want them to feel drifting off to sleep and like waking up in the morning? And one of the things I really know is that kids feel vulnerable at bedtime. There's a lot of worries that come up. There's a lot for kids who are prone to rumination or intrusive thinking, kids with anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot that comes up at bedtime. And also bedtime is a time of separation from us, like from their grownups, right? So for anyone, whether it's a kid or an adult, to feel good about separating, the kind of, it's a paradox because we have to feel really connected in order to kind of relax into separation, if that makes sense. So at bedtime, yeah, like, so I want to at bedtime think about like, how can I make them feel so connected and so loved that this separation of sleep, whether it's a physical one or even if they're right next to you, falling asleep is a separation. So, you know, how do I fill up that love well, you know, so that they can just relax into sleep instead of like mm-hmm. worrying into sleep until they just can't keep their eyes open anymore. No, you're so right. And reading that book, like it's not only you giving them that love and attention, but it's them soaking up that self-love that mm-hmm. you're promoting in the book. Yeah. I really, really want that to be a habit for for all of our kids. You know, of course, my initial mm-hmm. sort of experimenting and um, one of my primary sources of motivation is my own kids. But it, it's so clear that if our kids could be in the habit of treating themselves kindly, of noticing the good, of being aware of and, and paying attention to all of the things that there are to be grateful for about their own body, It would really Mm -hmm. shift how they feel about themselves. And we also know from the research that when we have more self-compassion, we're more compassionate towards others. So it's not, you know, it's not just this personal project of like, I like myself. It's actually like, can we shift 
to a state of being where kindness and curiosity is like the default habit of our brains. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask because I even noticed for me, like when I'm in yoga and when someone is instructing me to be mindful and to set an intention and, you know, be in this moment, like I, I'm okay doing that and I will do it. But then as soon as I walk out of that yoga class, it's almost like I forget to do those things and to give myself affirmations and to thank myself and have gratitude and have positive thoughts. Like, are these kinds of habits like reading, you know, your book to kids at night and practicing these kinds of mindfulness practices, like through your study, does that really then make something subconsciously click? And then you just like become grateful and you become secure and you become confident. Like it's just, I have such a hard time with it. So I'm curious to know how we, you know, go from reading this to then it just becoming who we are. It's such a great question. It's like a yes and no, but if (laughs) kind of question, you know, because there are some things that we can change and there are some things we can't, Mm -hmm. right? There are some things we can change and there are some things we can notice. And in the noticing, we might make different choices. So, you know, there's Mm -hmm. this sort of common misperception about mindfulness that it's all about like clearing your mind and being at peace. And really mindfulness is about noticing, right? It's about Mm -hmm. awareness. And you know, the very first step, it's like the kind of the thing, like the first step in have, knowing you have a problem is knowing you have a problem. And the first step of solving right. a problem is knowing you have it. It's kind of like that because, you know, there's many of us at, at many moments that go through life and, you know, things we might not be treating ourselves or others so well, but we don't even notice it. It's like our default state and it just passes right. us by. So like the first step of bringing gratitude and self-compassion and like you were saying, confidence and self-awareness, bringing these things into your day-to-day life with ease, the first step is kind of noticing when they're not there. And just in that awareness, you can make a choice and say, well, okay, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm being hard on myself. What do I want to do about it? It doesn't mean that being hard on yourself goes away. It's just that you mm-hmm. can notice it and find tools like you were talking about with breath work or um, mm-hmm. moving your body in ways that make you feel powerful or mm-hmm. calling a friend who always makes you feel really good about yourself and inspired. And, you know, we can make good choices day to day when we're aware of our needs. But many right. of our kids are very disembodied and aren't aware of their needs. They don't know how to listen to the messages of their body um, when they're Mm -hmm. feeling those like knots in their stomach or tight shoulders or sweaty pot. Like they don't know what it means or they've cut themselves off so much from their own body that they don't even notice Mm -hmm. that their body is trying to send them messages about how they're doing. So, you know, becoming more aware is huge. It's huge. Building that self-awareness and sense of embodiment is so big. And then the second part of what you were saying is like, yes, we actually know that we can change our neural pathways, right? But it's like brushing your teeth. You can't like just, you know, do it for an hour a week and it's like, boom, you know, it's it's consistent right. long-term practice. And uh-huh. it doesn't mean that everything's like hunky-dory now, but we can, we can through practices that actively work with the mind, right? we can create neural pathways that are attuned to and make it easier to see the good, 
right? We can, mm-hmm. we can make it easier. We can start to counteract that negativity bias in the brain. And there are a lot right. of practices. I mean, there are whole books written exactly on that topic. Um, Rick Hansen's book, Hardwiring Happiness, is a really great one for folks who are interested in how you might do this in a very, very practical way. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, his book is written for adults, but how much better to start doing this work with kids where we're not unlearning a lifetime of negative self-talk, you know, where right, we're building right. a new way of thinking about ourselves. And and for my totally. daughters, and certainly it's not just girls, boys too, like I started seeing so early on that the whole world was relating to them based on how cute they were. <laughs> like, oh. you know, my kids are cute. Like, uh, it's great. Like, they're really cute. Yeah. And and I, but I have to actively sort of work to stop even myself. Cause even though I know this stuff, it's so ingrained in me too. Like I have to actively work to sort of protect them from getting the message over and over and over and over again, that their worth is tied up in how adorable they are. And yeah. And that's really, really tricky. And oh my gosh, my my oldest daughter was the first grandchild, like on my side of the family. And she's got like aunts and grandparents and like so much love, like so much love. Right. But like the messaging was always like, you're adorable, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're wonderful. And I'm like, and I was feeding it because of course she is all those things. Of course. And I, I send it yeah. every single day. I'm like, do you even know how cute you are? <laughs> and then after I say it, I've stopped myself and I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what I should not be saying to him. Like you need to focus on what? Like how uh, oh, the yeah. things that make them them. Yes. The things that, right. Not, not that anything outward or physical. The thing, you know, the thing that's so tricky with kids is that biologically, they're essentially programmed to seek love. (laughs) Like for kids, Mm -hmm. love equals safety. Like they're very vulnerable Mm -hmm. little beings. And on a gut level, they know it. Like kids know that what keeps them safe is competent adults that love them enough to like be all sorts of uncomfortable to keep them safe, right? So for kids, seeking safety, which we all do, is really rooted in seeking love. So they're like little sponges for anything that grownups like. So this is like Mm -hmm. the tricky thing is that for kids, they're always looking for, um, and, and this is subconscious, like they're always looking for what they get positive reinforcement for and trying to do more of that. So, you know, we live in a culture that is really focused on appearance and on accomplishment. And kids mm-hmm. learn really early on in life that grown-ups like kids who are good at stuff and they like kids who are adorable because they get positive yeah. reinforcement for those things. And it doesn't right. mean we shouldn't give them that. It just means we need to have a broader spectrum of um, what they get connection for. Because it's not just mm-hmm. about positive reinforcement. Like, it's that positive reinforcement feels like connection, right? It feels like love. So we don't have to be like, oh, and you're also so good at like learning how to tie your shoes. It doesn't have to always be praise and compliment. And like, now I have to find all these other things to praise them for. It's really Mm -hmm. about how can we connect through other things, not just like the stuff that you're good at. Because then what happens when you're not good at something or, you know, you're having a bad day? Like it's, it's really hard to feel 
and find for a kid that same sense of love and connection if what they've always gotten positive reinforcement for is limited. I don't want to send anybody the message that, like, you're doing a bad job if you tell your kids they're cute, <laughs> right? It's not, right, like, right. eliminate that. It's just, like, expand the repertoire and try to, try to you know, create a more balanced range. So what are some of those ways that we can connect with them where it's not just praise? You know, what are some of those other things that we can do to show them love and build their confidence? Yeah, um, absolutely. So one of the things that I try to do is try to attune to like what my kid is interested in talking about. So like, you know, they come home and like I have all the questions in my mind of like that I want to know about their day, but they have a different agenda. And you know, what kids really want is to be seen as whole people, just like we do. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to be seen for who they are. So I think, you know, there's not like a checklist of, okay, like ask these five questions and your kid will feel connected. It's really like slowing ourselves down and listening to what they have to offer. And it's sometimes it's like my daughter just wants me to like sit next to her and draw. You know, it's not yeah. a conversation. And it's like by stopping myself from asking the 25 questions that I want to ask her when she walks in the door and really mm-hmm. attuning to like what's going on with her right now. Does she want to talk? Does she want to have a snack together? Does she want to go for a walk? Like, does she want to sit here and draw horses with me? Like, those are the things that are important to her. And by actively saying, like, I'm going to put my agenda to the side and give energy and attention to what's important to you right now, Mm -hmm. that's a huge way that we say, I see you, I value you. Um, That has nothing to do with accomplishment or looks. Right. I mean, this is definitely not the first time I've heard that. I talked to a child development specialist, Dr. Eliza Pressman, and she said, like, even if you don't have that much time with them, it's the quality of the time that you spend with them and you just follow them around and do whatever they want to do. Like put your phone down and just be in their world. Mm -hmm. And then that's the action. Those are the moments that count. And those are the moments when they feel like they're the priority and they're being heard. And that's what builds their confidence. So I think that's so important. Absolutely. And then the other thing is, you know, I think when kids do do amazing things, which they do, um, Mm -hmm. instead of jumping to say, like, that was so amazing, um, ask them how they felt about it. Like, when you did that, like, how did you feel about yourself? Like, what was going on in your body? What was going on in your mind? Like, do you want to tell me anything about that experience? And, you know, at the end of that conversation, you could be like, I was so proud of you. And then I always am like, were you proud of yourself? You know, but I wait. I don't want to fill them up with me. You know, I want to fill me up with them. (laughs) So it's it's waiting and asking those questions about their experience that will get them in the habit of self-awareness. You know, I think a lot of right. us grow up doing and and being in the world, but we're more paying attention to what other people are thinking about us than about what we're mm-hmm. thinking about us. Right. And that's a bit of a trap. And our kids don't have to grow up that way. But if we're constantly praising them the second anything happens, then the second they do anything, they're looking for that praise. Right. Ugh. And now a word from our sponsor. 
All right. So I am actually starting to think about baby number two, but with that comes a lot of questions. When am I fertile? How many eggs do I have? You know, so many questions that I have about my own fertility, but that I don't necessarily need to like go into my doctor to ask. So I have been telling you guys a little bit about modern fertility, but I'm excited because I am going to actually personally use it because it really is so, so amazing. And knowledge is power. When you know more, you can make better decisions. You can make better decisions for your body, for your health, and for your future. And there obviously aren't many decisions bigger than having a kid, but for many women, their fertility is a big question mark. I mean, obviously I know I got pregnant with Sunny and then I got pregnant again and had the miscarriage, but your body's always changing. So you've probably thought about what's that next step in your career or your relationship. But what about like planning for an actual baby? Women are having children later in life, but biology hasn't changed and we need the tools to understand the future of our fertility. If you want more information like me about your ability to get pregnant, you need modern fertility. It's a quick and easy hormone test that you can take at home, whether you're thinking of trying for a baby now, or you just want to know your options for the future, it's very empowering to have these answers. Your results are delivered within 10 days and your personalized dashboard will give you insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and any reproductive red flags. You can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse or use the timeline tool to plan ahead. Proactive testing through your doctor can cost over a thousand dollars, but with modern fertility, you can get the same information for just $159. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering you guys $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash withwit. Again, that's $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash withwit. I will be heading there today, modernfertility.com slash withwit. And now back to our conversation. So I want to talk about this childhood body image Mm -hmm. issue. You know, you said that your daughter at a certain point started to like critique herself or what, what was it that you started to notice where she was becoming aware of like her body and Mm -hmm. how people were perceiving it? Yeah. Gosh, it was so many little things, but I think one of the first things that I started to notice was how she was looking in the mirror because like for years, like the only thing a mirror was useful for was like, um, you know, blowing hot air and making drawings or like, you know, making funny faces in. And, you know, I started Mm -hmm. noticing and and it was, I, I would say maybe she was around four, four and a half. You know, I started noticing that she stop and look at herself in the mirror. And she was doing these sort of like poses and faces that were like, oh, she's like checking out what she looks like. And I I could almost see the wheels turning of like, she was thinking about how other people saw her instead of mm-hmm. just like being playful. And uh-huh. she started asking me things like, do I look cute? And I was like, what? Like it just, you know, and she never would care. And she always like, she loves to dress up and pick out her own clothes and like put wild combinations of clothes together. And like, so, and I'm, you know, that's awesome. She's having so much fun with it. And for a long time, it was just like whatever she liked. And I started to see this like subtle shift towards like noticing that other people had opinions about what she looked like and caring about what they looked like. And Mm -hmm. that, 
made me really nervous. And then as she's getting like deeper into school, you know, she's exposed to a lot of kids, girls in her case, especially that are older than her. And, you know, in my work in education, I've I've seen so much how at really young ages, kids are developing eating disorders and starting to feel like they're too fat and feel like, you know, they're not good enough. I mean, at seven, eight, nine years old. And so scary. It's scary. And, you know, I've, I've been close to many people with very severe eating disorders that, you know, who knows, you, you know, you can't, you can't like protect your kid entirely from anything. But, you know, when you start to see those like little things in a very young child that say like, hey, I'm paying attention to what I look like, my immediate impulse was, hey, if you're going to be paying attention to your body, we got to start paying attention to what your body can do and what it feels like, right? Because it's not like, you know, and I I don't want to send a message that caring about what you look like is bad. You know, that's, I I feel like going too far in any direction is a bad idea. Of course. You know, totally. Especially with kids, because, you know, as soon as you say something's bad, they're going to care about it like 10 times more. So (laughs) it's just, I'm always thinking about what can I add to the conversation? Like, I don't want to shut her down. I don't want to shame her. I don't want to make her feel embarrassed for caring about what other people think. I just want to add more layers and make it clear to her that I'm seeing those layers as much more important. And right. for that to be authentic, I have to be doing that work for myself too, <laughs> which is like easier right. said than done, right? Because they're always looking at what we do and and how we're treating ourselves and how we're talking to ourselves. And, you know, so for me to really get her on board with the idea that your body is about what it can do and what sensations you're feeling and um, using your body to discover the world and and learn more about yourself. For that to be something I can authentically offer my kids, I have to be authentically working towards that myself too. Right. And so was that what really led you to write the book? Thank you, body. Thank you, heart. Because that book is essentially, I mean, just that. Mm-hmm. It's it's thanking every part of your body for everything it did for them that day to get it through. It sounds like, I mean, it's, it's I guess it's obvious. It <laughs> sounds like that's what was like kind of the impetus to write this amazing book. It was. And I, you know, it was one of those things where like it started as really casual conversations. You know, like mm-hmm. my daughter would like say things about, Um, various things, or I would just be like, you know, trying to bring these kind of other ways of seeing yourself into things. And for me, bedtime is such like a good connected time and I I can rely Mm -hmm. on it in a busy day. Mm -hmm. Like I can rely on bedtime. And so it was really natural to start talking about this stuff at bedtime. And it just started kind of really casually chatting. You know, my two-year-old can't really, you know, she was just there. (laughs) But, But with my older daughter asking her questions about like, what did your feet do for you today? You know, what did your arms do for you today? Just trying to like prompt her to be curious about her body in a different way. Um, And I, you know, I'm always trying to build self-awareness. So I'm always asking things like, you know, does your body feel sore? You know, is there anything that you need before you go to sleep to make yourself feel more comfortable? And, you know, Mm -hmm. just building that awareness. So for me, it was sort of like this natural outgrowth of, a practice. And, you know, a body scan, like you were talking about doing a body scan in your class, in your MBSR class, you know, a body Mm -hmm. scan is 
a practice that's part of many different yoga and meditation traditions, often with a, a gratitude element worked in. And that's been something that's been really helpful for me in my personal practice. So kind of converting those sort of conversations into something that was a more systematic body scan, I felt like that was a way to take this intention that I was trying to create in her and make it more um, of a habit. And right. my kids love books. So I knew like, okay, if I put something in a book, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get into their brains. And my older daughter already knows the entire thing word by word, like by heart. It was crazy. Um, yesterday for the book launch, she did an online bedtime reading of the book. And I was going to do it. I was going to read it to her. She's like, no, I want to read it. And Aww. she did it. She did it live. And um, that's amazing. I was so amazed because she's reading and she's only in first grade. So she's just learning how to read. And but but it was obvious like some of it she was reading, but then she was like holding up the pictures to show on the camera. And she was still Aww. like word for word. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, she knows it. And that's why uh -huh. I made it rhyme, you know, because I'm like, okay, kids remember things that rhyme. <laughs> so, you know, yes. I really just wanted it to be easy and accessible. And like, I want this message to download into their brains in a way that doesn't feel um, like I'm trying to change anything about them. It just becomes part of their like inner dialogue. And the fact that she had it memorized made me feel so good about that. I'm like, that means it's in her. Totally. I mean, I'll read things to Sonny and he'll be able to like finish my sentences now. And he's only a little bit over two. And so if I can just continue to read him this book every night before bed, hopefully it becomes something like ingrained in him and helps him you know, he's a boy and we haven't dealt with like body image issues yet or don't, I don't know if we will, but this book is so, so, so powerful. And not only because of what it can do on a daily basis for kids' confidence, but also like we were talking about just creating this peaceful sleep routine mm -hmm. and allowing kids to really rest at the end of the day. I, I'm so with you on that sleep routine thing. It's so important to us and always has been. Sleep has been so, so, so important. Like we started sleep training Sunny when he was six months and we've just had the same routine every single night and made sure that whoever put him to bed did the same routine yeah, I think for any parents out there that are struggling like with their kids who have like super, you know, high anxiety or trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, that this routine can really help, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many different ways to think about sleep. And like, you know, I certainly want to put out there like there are a lot of ways to put your kids to sleep and it has to yeah. work for your whole family. So like, you know, different people do different things. But I would say like, you know, some of the things that get in the way of good sleep is like anxiety and mm -hmm. a feeling of disconnection. Um, and for a lot of kids, their nervous system is soothed through routine, right? So if you can establish, and it doesn't have to be a super long routine, and it doesn't always have to be even like exactly the same, although some kids need exactly the same more than others. One thing I always recommend to new, to new parents, and I talk with a lot of new parents, is like make sure you have a sleep routine that is at least a little bit portable. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. when you're home, it's like, okay, one thing, but you're going to eventually, like your kid's going to sleep at someone else's house or in a hotel or in a car. And like you need to have a slightly portable sleep routine. But, you know, thinking about what are the things at night that might cause my child anxiety, even if it's just like I don't have the right stuffy and, you know, I, I like this particular water cup. It's like, 
it, it doesn't matter if you think it's crazy or it becomes like it's too much. It's like just the predictability for a kid when they have so little control over their own world is really, really helpful. And then, you right. know, it's that piece about connection that we were speaking of earlier. You know, if, you know, it's sleep is going to be a period of disconnection no matter what. And even if, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, even if your baby sleeps in your bed, they're going to fall asleep and that's a period of disconnection. And for me, one of the things that helped me a lot when my my oldest was little and then, you know, when I had my second, I kind of got that reminder of how challenging it can be is shifting my mindset around like what the goal of bedtime is. So people are like, what are you talking about? The goal of bedtime is going to bed. And I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be because, you know, for Mm -hmm. me, when I was bringing that energy of like, okay, it's the end of the day. I'm really tired. I have like 20 things left to do. I just need you to go to bed as like fast as humanly possible. (laughs) You know, many days I have felt like that. When I bring that energy into bedtime, I I honestly think (laughs) it's crazy. Well, the thing is, I actually think at some point, like, my kids might start to feel like I'm trying to get rid of them. Like, I, it's creating, yeah. the, the, it's the paradox of parenting, right? Like, whatever you want the most, right. your kid's going to fight against the hardest. Like, when yeah. I go into bedtime, like, really, like, okay, we have to get to sleep and we have to do it soon. That's when my kids mm-hmm. give me the most pushback. And mm-hmm. then they finally fall asleep and I'm all in my head of, like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Did they feel loved? Was that the right thing? And like, I, I like sometimes I'm like, I want to wake her up and tell her I love her because because it felt yucky. Right. I just start the process <laughs> all over again and do it really slow. And I'm like, all right, well, I just like worked so hard to put my kid to sleep and now I can't fall asleep because I'm all in my head, you know? So right. when I shifted my mindset around like, okay, what's the goal of bedtime? For me, it actually was super helpful to think about the goal of bedtime is not sleep. The goal of bedtime is connection and ease. And if Mm -hmm. we have that, sleep will come, right? Because our body needs that. So if we meet our emotional needs, then our physical needs can just naturally um, be met as well. And that helped me a Mm -hmm. ton to actually, and sometimes I say like, okay, well, don't even call it bedtime. Call it like snuggle time or connection time or something else so that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can keep in your own mind what the goal is. And that has helped me so much. And I swear it has helped my kids because, and they go to sleep, like, because they just, they feel comfortable at bedtime because they feel connected. They feel attuned to, they feel seen and they sleep. And sometimes, you know, people ask me questions about that. Like, well, do they really sleep? Do you always have to be there? Like, do they only sleep if they're in your room? Can they go? And I'm telling you, like, these kids, like, they'll sleep at their grandparents' house. They'll sleep when I'm not there. They'll sleep with a babysitter. They've traveled mm-hmm. all over the world. My God, I've schlepped them so many places with me on work trips. And they'll sleep mm-hmm. anywhere. I mean, both of my kids have slept in a sling at music festivals. <laughs> like, sound oh asleep. <laughs> sound asleep. Sonny is not that good of a sleeper. <laughs> I mean, he, we take bedtime seriously here, yeah. but he hasn't really slept anywhere yeah. else unless we take him with us on, like, a trip or something. And he can sleep okay, usually, but if if we're not there and he's not at his own house, like, it's hard. I recently dropped him off at my mom's 
And he didn't fall asleep until she was like, she tickled him to sleep and he was laying on her chest. So mm-hmm. I guess we have to work on that a little bit. But well, but that's okay. Takes time. You know, it does take time. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and I think people sometimes get a little wrapped up in, you know, like, like if your mom had her grandchild, like sleeping on her chest, giving him tickles, that's not a negative. Like she was creating a beautiful, safe, like cocoon of you are okay here for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are, we really are so susceptible to like the achievement oriented culture that we want to protect our kids from, you know, that Mm -hmm. like meeting our kids needs in the moment, like, you know, I, I teach a lot about resilience and anxiety in my in my work. And one of the things that I come up against a lot is this feeling that, like, we need to give our kids all the skills to be independent so that they can face challenges in the world and navigate them with strength. And mm-hmm. it's true, but we also are kind of in this trap in our culture where we have somehow decided that kids at like younger and younger and younger ages need to like be able to be independent. And mm-hmm. we know like through the science, we know that self-regulation is formed through co-regulation, right? That our kids learn to regulate their own nervous system by being attuned to and co-regulating with an adult, like for years, like they have to have thousands of experiences of co-regulation before mm-hmm. self-regulation even comes into play. And that's the right. case in a lot of ways, you know, and, and I think it can be helpful to think like, you know, when we're meeting our kids' needs in ways that are, you know, that kind of seem less than optimal given what we've been going for, mm-hmm. um, if we think of it um, in a different way, we can think of it, we, we can see what's productive about it, right? Like, because right. before your kid feels safe, maybe sleeping at somebody else's house, he needs to know that that person is going to be there for him through the night. And it may take like dozens of experiences of being closer before he feels safe enough to be a little less close, right? Whereas in your house, Mm -hmm. he's had that experience thousands of times. So like, sure, it's easy, you know, to rest in a situation that already feels familiar. He's not doing a bad job because when he's in a new situation, he needs co-regulation, not Mm self-regulation. That's, that's, typical. And it's actually great. I, in my perspective, from my experience, I think it's great that your mom did that. And she was telling him, I see what you need and I'm here for you. And the reality is when kids know that they're grownups are there for them, when they know that somebody's like unconditionally got their back, it makes it much easier for them to face challenges in the world, even when that person is not right there. But we need to put in the work of I am here first. Right. It's not about, like you said, it's not about the end result. It's about the process and and how you get them there. Yeah. And, you know, our kids will sleep. (laughs) They will. They will sleep. And now a word from our partner. You guys, the 2019 FabFitFun Winter Box is now on presale. They have such great things in this box. One of my favorites is the Aromatherapy Associates Deep Relax Roller Ball. For me, for my headaches, this is so good just to keep my bag and run on my temples. Also, my 
eyes have just been so tired and old and crepey looking lately. And the box has the Wander Beauty Baggage Claim Gold Eye Mask, which is a six pack. There's also things like a flat iron, the Amica Strand Perfect Ceramic Styler, which is awesome. I need a new flat iron. So this is coming at a really, really good time. And I've heard awesome things about the Amica. If you guys don't really know what FabFitFun even is, I probably should have let you guys know that before I started telling you about the amazing products that are in the box, but it's a women's lifestyle subscription box filled with full size, premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and tech products sent straight to your doorstep each season. They completely take the hassle out of shopping by doing it all for you. And each box is customized to your specific interests and they deliver the seasonal must-haves you need. So this winter box is the perfect way to treat yourself or others, good gift idea, and get yourself ready for the holiday season. The box has everything you need for the best winter yet. You can save money on quality full-size products today because these deals don't really last long. I get so excited when my box comes in the mail. It's like Christmas for me. So if you guys want to check this out for yourself and subscribe, the boxes retail for $49.99, but always have a value of over $200. If you guys want the subscription box, you can use the coupon code WITHWIT for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. If this sounds good to you guys, go to www.fabfitfun.com. Use the code WITHWIT for $10 off your first box. Okay, now back to our chat. I got a lot of pushback from my family um, and some friends early on with my kids because I I tend to like be in the room with them when they're going to sleep. Sometimes they're in my room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're in their room. It's, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a flexible situation. Some things we always do. Some things are pretty, pretty loose. But, you know, I started feeling bad about it. And I was like, okay, like, am I denying my kids the opportunity to learn how to go to sleep by themselves? And is this something I have to teach? And you know, I am kind of nerdy, so I do a lot of research. I mean, I was like a person that when I was pregnant, I read medical journals. Like, it's it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, I learned and learned, and I, I reflected on my, my practice, my experience in education and in child development. And I also reflected on, like, what the intention in my own heart was and what I wanted my kids to feel like at bedtime. Right. And what I wanted them to feel like is, like, I wanted to be with them. So, you know, I think the energy we bring into it has a big impact on how they come out of the experience. So if we're, like, hanging out in our kid's bedroom with this energy of, like, you can't fall asleep without me and that's why I'm here— Right. If we kind of make it into this thing where like they need us, which is kind of a negative. I mean, it's not, Mm -hmm. but it kind of can feel like it in our culture. If we're there with this energy of like, I'm here because you need me, but we need to work on you not needing me. That actually Mm -hmm. runs counter to like all of their biology. And it also sets up this thing that we all worry about, which is like they're going to need us so much that they can never sleep without us. Where mm-hmm. if we completely flip it, and it's, you know, it's it's a worthy experiment if folks feel like it. If we flip the intention to like, I'm not here because you need me. I'm here because I like you and because I want to be with you. <laughs> then we set up a situation where like, 
Sometimes we're there, sometimes we're not, but we're sending the message that when I have the opportunity to spend time with you, I want to. Like we're telling our kids over and over again, like I'm choosing to be with you. I could be doing a million other things right now, but I love this quiet time that we have together. And for as long as you'll let me hang out with you and I have the capacity to, I'm so excited to do it. And but what if you're not like, <laughs> what, you know, yes. like, I'm sure there are moments where you're like, I mean, unless you're just a saint. No. Um, oh, my God. But I'm sure there are moments where you're like, but this is not where I want to be right now. And I'm in here because you're crying hysterically and you do need me. Yeah. You know, like people can allow for those moments. A hundred percent. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. And oh my, I definitely am not a saint. And sometimes I've been like. I just need a break and I'm going to get your dad. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so or like, you know what? And, I, and I'm honest with my kids, too. And look, sometimes I just suck it up. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I really want a little bit of time to myself, but I also really want my kid to feel seen. And, yeah. you know, I can like find it in myself, like not, you know, we can hold a lot of different things at the same time. Right. So I can be like, right, I really right. want to just watch TV right now. And I also really want my kid to feel seen. And I'm just going right. to feed the part of me that wants my kid to feel seen until I mm-hmm. can like find that softening in my own heart. And I think that's the really important conversation to have with yourself. Instead mm-hmm. of beating yourself up for having this negative feeling, it's like, it's like, know that it's okay to have both and really try to focus on like at the end of the day, yeah what's best for your kid. Yeah. You know? And also and, what's best for your kid then, is having a healthy mom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So true. But yeah. also like, you know, that if you take the time to be there for them, that that is going to make you feel so much better than the feeling that you feel from sitting on the couch and watching TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- more often than not, hopefully. And sometimes maybe sitting on the couch and watching TV is exactly what you need. But, yeah. you know, it is it is so important to know that like feelings aren't, all these feelings we have as moms, as complex as they are, like are not mutually exclusive. A hundred percent. It's so well mm-hmm. said. Like none of it is mutually exclusive. Like we can love our mm-hmm. kid and be super irritated by them at the same time. And, you yeah. know, all of those things are true. And for me, being able to set up the sleep thing with like, I'm here because I love you and I want to hang out with you instead of like, I'm here because you can't fall asleep without me actually gives me an out, right? Because it's like, if I'm here because I want to be, but then one night I'm like, I really need a minute or I need to whatever, take this phone call or go to the bathroom. It's not like an emergency that I'm leaving, you know, because I'm there just to, to be together. I'm not there to like put you to sleep. Does that make sense? So I, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I just have a question like when you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, whether it's because of your kids or whatever it is in your life, your husband or your career, balancing it all, like what, what do you do to recenter yourself and like calm yourself down? Cause you are an expert in this. So, (laughs) you know, like I would imagine, I mean, you're human too, but I I would imagine that you definitely have like some sort of routine or conversation with yourself that, 
that you've done a million times. And so what, what can you, what do you do that we can learn to do? (laughs) Oh, thank you for asking. So I'm definitely human and I definitely have moments of like extreme irritation and overwhelm and anger and all of the other things. Um, I think what my practice has given me is the ability to know that I'm feeling those things and then like mm-hmm. have enough space when those feelings come up. I can I, I don't feel compelled to immediately act on them. You know, that actually, okay. that genuinely, and I think it's just years of practice, that genuinely has subsided like a lot. Like, you know, that that sort of reactive, like I feel something and I have to do something about it immediately has softened so much. And that allows me to make decisions, right? And and one of the things that's like a go-to for me if I just have like short moments of like intensity is rising, whatever kind of feeling it is, like it's an intense one. Something that helps me is a five senses practice. And it's so simple, but it like, it, it gets me back in my body and like in the present moment. Because of course, when those big feelings are coming, it's like your mind is like going to the past and the future and the what ifs and the why is this happening? And, you know, your body gets all tight with feeling. And for me, if I can do a five senses practice in that moment where I'm literally like, okay, what can I see around me? What do I hear? Mm -hmm. What do I smell? Um, What are the tastes in my mouth? And then finally, the last one I do is like, what do I feel in my body? And sometimes it's like, what do I feel in my body internally, like muscularly? And what is my body trying to tell me? But it's also, you know, I take the opportunity, like, can I feel my feet on the floor? Can I, can I put my hands on the table? Can I actually feel that my hands are on the table? And that kind of just quick five senses practice, I find very orienting um, and grounding. And then it's like, okay, I've created enough space to be like, I know where I am. I know what's going on. (laughs) And I want to choose my actions based on what's real right now, not based on, Mm -hmm. you know, the story that I'm telling myself. And that really helps for like in the moment stuff. And that's a good one for kids too. And they get it, like the five senses thing they get. And it's a good one for kids. And then I also take time, you know, I take some breaks. And this was really hard for me because I'm like, you know, I work with kids and then I had kids and it was kind of like, okay, now my job is to be a perfect parent. And that is a just a hill that cannot be climbed. <laughs> and, yeah. you know. It's an impossible task. It, I mean, you can try your hardest, but ugh, none of us, no one can be perfect. No. And it's actually a setup because then we teach our kids that yeah. they have to be perfect. So it's right. it, that's a terrible message. <laughs> like, so I, I really, and it's really just in the last couple of years, and maybe it's more since having my second, that I'm like, uh-huh. okay, I actually have to take breaks and not like a five second body scan. Like I need to take a couple of days and go away Uh and I need to have Uh a support Uh team. (laughs) You know, I need to have people in my life who I can call on for backup and I need to know who those people are. And even if I have to plan it like nine months in advance, like I need to prioritize getting some rest and doing things that let me get back in my body. You know, I just recently, for the first time ever, took a trip with my mom. And we'd never done anything, just the two of us, ever. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it was like a logistical situation to try to figure out, you know, my kids for four days 
without me. Right. But it was so worth it. And I've been getting better and better at doing that. And it's making a huge difference. Yeah, it is so important. I've talked a lot about that on this podcast. Just like you said, taking care of yourself before taking care of your children, just because if you're not fully present, not there, you can't be there for your kids. I want to ask you one thing that I sort of struggle with um, and see if you have any tips for me. I feel like I get this kind of anxiety about something that will happen before it even happens. You know, Mm -hmm. like I predict the future in order to prepare myself for it, but the future hasn't even happened. Yeah. And it causes me like stress on a daily basis, you know? And sometimes I think it's like a little bit of PTSD from, from losing my dad and, you know, thinking about things kind of in that worst case scenario place, but how, how can I stop myself from doing that and really just focusing, focus on the present moment and not let my mind go to that place? Oh, it's so hard. First of all, I, you know, I, I, you're not alone in this experience and I know you know that. Yeah. Anxiety is really so present for so many people and for so many kids. And that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, that negativity bias in the brain is strong. And when we've been through things that rock our world, it's really hard not to not to always go there. But I, you know, it's funny. I share all the same advice now with adults that I do with kids. And it it actually seems to work out well. Um, You know, not just what I do with my own kids, but from teaching and, and, um, you know, working in education. The thing about anxiety is that, you know, oftentimes we're approaching it as like when anxiety comes, whether it's in the form of Um, messages from our body or intrusive thoughts, we orient to it as like, I need to get rid of this anxiety, which is really natural because it feels horrible and we want to get rid of it, right? (laughs) But, you know, like anything else, like the more you push it away, the harder it pushes back. And, you know, the thing about anxiety is that it tends to get worse if we try to push it away. And what can help is orienting to anxiety as anxiety has something to tell me, right? Like any other emotion, it serves a function and it has something to tell me. Now, what it's telling me might not be true. And there are some really practical ways we can deal with that. But first, we have to be willing to listen, right? So like, what is this experience, whether it's in my body or my mind, trying to do? Like, what is it asking of me? And then usually anxiety is asking us one of three things. We, it's like anxiety is sending us a message that something important to us is at stake, right? Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. hear that message as like, oh my God, something horrible is happening and I have no control over it or I can't handle it, (laughs) right? But it's just a message that something important to us is at stake and we can be like, oh, well, what is that? What is this anxiety trying to tell me? And usually anxiety is asking us to do one of three things. Either recognize that we're overwhelmed or overstimulated and do something to rest and reset our nervous system, right? That's like, take a break, right? That's one. The second is get more information, right? Gather information. So sometimes anxiety just needs us to learn a little bit more about the situation or 
orient ourselves to like what's real right now and what's a story I'm telling myself, right? So we can do that sometimes on our own, but sometimes we need to ask for help to do that. Like talking with someone you trust and saying like, this is causing me worry. Like, can you help me get some perspective here? (laughs) You know, like, so, so you can take a break, you could ask for help. And then sometimes anxiety comes when we actually do have a challenge in front of us. And internalizing that message of like, oh no, something horrible is happening and I can't handle it, doesn't let us rise to meet that challenge. So for me, one of the biggest turning points in working with my own anxiety and, and teaching about anxiety is starting to listen to the messages and saying, oh, this anxiety is telling me that something important to me is at stake. I am strong enough to handle it. It's time to get my A game on, right? And then it's yeah. about powering up, right? And and doing yeah. things that make you feel powerful, not because you can control every situation, but because you can rise to meet it. And mm-hmm. in that kind of power up and bring your A game experience, you can also at any point take a break or ask for help, yeah. you know? So I yeah. tell my own kids too, like when things are really hard, whether it's hard because you have to do something hard or hard because you're having a hard time with something, there are basically three options. Right? You could take a break, you can ask for help, uh-huh. or you can keep trying. And if you choose to keep trying, you have to recognize that that might be hard and you might get frustrated and you might need to actively do things to help yourself feel mm-hmm. your own power. Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful, like remembering those three things, those simple three things to ask yourself every time something unsettling happens. I think that's amazing. That's really, really, really helpful. Thank you so so much. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Jennifer, you have been so amazing. I am so happy that we got the chance to do this. I wish that we could have met in person, but eventually one day we will. Tell everybody where they can find you. We didn't even really talk about your yoga, but mention your yoga and your book and where we can just learn about everything that you're up to and teaching. Thank you so much for asking. And I hope that we can meet in person someday. It's been great to talk with you. So the book is Thank You Body, Thank You Heart. And you can find it anywhere, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, like all those sorts of places. Mm -hmm. Little Birdie told me that in the new year, you'll be able to get it at Whole Foods. So we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. That's so exciting. We'll also put a link for it in the text for this. Oh, thank you. Um, and then my the yeah. organization that I founded in, in 2006 is called Little Flower Yoga. Um, and we teach yoga and mindfulness-based programs primarily in schools. Um, our biggest partner is the New York City Department of Education. And um, we also do a lot of professional development work for mental health care providers and for educators, um, as well as family mm-hmm. engagement programming in collaboration with schools and community-based organizations. And the entire drive of that program is to help kids and the people who support them um, build the capacity for self-awareness and really tap into their personal power. And and Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's my life's work Um, and I'm enjoying it. And you can connect with me on social media if you just look for Jennifer Cohen Harper um, or Little Flower Yoga or both. I'm there in all of those forms. Jennifer, thank you so, so, so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and and good luck with your little one. It's such an amazing journey of self-discovery. Oh my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> thank you, and you too. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because I want to hear from you guys. You can let me know what you thought of this episode or anything more you want to hear about. Thanks. Peace in the streets.